Good morning, everybody. My name is Justin. I am the next generation pastor here at Hilton Head Island Community Church. I'm so excited to see you guys here in person and also excited for those of you that are joining us online this morning. This is just um, so much fun for me to get an opportunity to come up and speak every so often and, and really exciting for me to get to be a part of this series where we're talking about fear because it's just such a practical thing that I think all of us experience and struggle with, and to be honest with you, I've struggled with in the form of anxiety really for the past few years. And I'll tell you a little bit more about that in a minute. Um, and honestly, I think the reason why Pastor Todd asked me to be a part of this message series, Fear Not, is because Todd had his own stint as kind of our student pastor for a little while before I came on board. And so Todd knows that if you really wanna experience like real, raw fear, just take some middle schoolers to camp. Trust me, you will definitely experience some anxiety that week. And I joke, but in all honesty, I really have struggled with anxiety myself um, over the last few years a little bit. And it actually started with an experience of taking some kids to camp, I kid you not. You see, about three years ago or so, we were living in Dallas. Um, I was actually in the middle of kind of working on my master's of theology degree. So I was a full-time student. I was working full-time as well between a couple of different part-time jobs. We had a one-and-a-half-year-old at the time. So needless to say, life was a little crazy. There wasn't always a lot of sleep. There were deadlines for work and things like that. So obviously things were a little stressful. Um, but I, I think, honestly, I was dealing with it pretty well. I mean, like I said, there were times where, you know, sleep wouldn't be great or I might be anxious. But it was always something that was easy to identify, you know, a deadline at work coming up or an interview that I had to do. Um, so, you know, it was just temporary little fears and anxieties over different things until it wasn't. You see, what happened is that one of my part-time jobs was actually working as an intern at a mega church in Dallas. Uh, I was a high school ministry intern. And so part of my responsibilities there were to help take our student ministry to camp uh, in the summer. And I got the amazingly lucky uh, job of staying with the ninth grade boys in their cabin. And let me just give you a quick picture of this. Here's what you need to know about ninth grade boys, okay? You've got all the immaturity of middle school still. Some of them are the size of full-grown adults at this point. You're at like the peak of raging hormones of puberty. And somehow, I don't know how to explain this phenomenon to you, but when you put them together, their stupidity doesn't add to each other. It like exponentially multiplies. I'm not kidding you. It's a recipe for disaster. And so I kid you not, this week of being in the cabin with these kids, did not go well. I got maybe two hours of sleep every night for four or five nights. And by the end of camp, I was struggling a little bit. And the thing is, you know, I kind of make it funny, but when I came back from camp, I legitimately started to struggle with insomnia a little bit. I mean, I did not sleep well, even when I got back from camp. And I started to have this sense of anxiety in my life that was just kind of constant in there. And it didn't really seem to have any cause. I couldn't, you know, it wasn't that I had a deadline coming up or an interview to do or anything crazy going on in life. It was just this constant feeling in my pit of my stomach that was just there. And I didn't really know what to do with it. And honestly, over the last few years, I've struggled with that on and off. And statistics would say that I'm not alone in that. You know, Pastor Todd listed some off last week, so I'm not gonna give you a bunch of those again, but I do wanna share one with you this morning that's kind of near and dear to my heart because of the age groups that I work with. And it shows that it's getting worse. And it's this, 63% of college students reported experiencing 
overwhelming anxiety in the last year. Two thirds of college students reported feeling overwhelming anxiety in the last year. But you know what's interesting about that? That was 2018. I imagine it's gotten a little worse, right? Our young people are being crushed under a burden of anxiety. And it's not just a young people problem, it's all of us, right? All of us in the room are probably struggling with anxiety or fear in some form, or if we're not struggling with it right now, we have struggled with it and we will struggle with it again, right? It's an issue that comes up in all of our lives. And it's so interesting because our culture prides itself on strength and independence, but there's a general undercurrent of anxiety in our culture, right? We put on this outward front of bravery and independence, but in reality, almost all Americans are struggling internally with fear and anxiety. You know, whether it's you as a middle schooler or a high schooler, and you're wondering whether you're popular enough or what you're gonna do in your future if you're a college student, or maybe you're retired and you know, you're kind of in paradise on the outside, but on the inside, you're wondering, are your kids gonna be okay? Or what is your legacy gonna look like? Right, all of us have these different questions that we wrestle with and this fear that creeps in and it weighs us down. You know, fear and anxiety become such a problem because it's not just something emotionally that it's just kind of, oh, just ignore it. They, they actually cripple us. They hold us back. They literally freeze us in place and stop us from moving forward into the future like we're supposed to. And so what I want us to wrestle with this morning really is this question. How do we conquer those fears? How do we come out on the other side of them and get over them, right? I don't know about you, but I don't wanna be held back. I wanna be free to be fully fruitful in my life and productive and successful. And I wanna, I wanna conquer those fears. I wanna have control over them. And so this morning, I want us to talk about what does that look like in our lives? How do we do that? You know, Todd told us last week about the power of prayer in our lives as one remedy for that. And prayer is definitely an amazing thing that we need in our lives, but it's not the only thing that God has given us to find power over our fears or to find peace in our lives. And so this morning, I want us to take a look at a story that most of us should be pretty familiar with. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. If you wanna turn there in your Bibles or look it up on uh, your phone, it's the story of David and Goliath. And so we're gonna take a look at this story to get started this morning. And like I said, most of you are familiar with it, but I want you to pay attention in particular as we run through the story really quickly to the way that fear plays out and to how the characters in the story deal with it. And if you need a reminder of kind of the context of the story, basically what's going on is that at this point in Israel's history, they've got their first king, a guy named Saul, and things are actually going pretty well at this point for him. The Israelites are going out in battle. They're fighting against some of their neighbors. They're expanding their territory and they're having a lot of victory. In fact, what's interesting in this story, the army of Israel and the army of the Philistines meet at a valley and they're actually on either side. They're facing off against each other, ready for battle. And I think a lot of times in this story, we get this picture that the Israelites are kind of the, the underdogs. They're scared and they're afraid because of how Goliath plays out. But the reality is, is that if you actually read the chapters before this, it talks about how Saul and the Israelites had been going out to battle and they'd actually encountered the Philistines multiple times before this. And it says that when Saul fought against the Philistines, wherever he turned, he routed them, right? The Israelites really weren't the underdogs in this story. They had seen victory after victory. And so I think what's actually happening here is that the Philistines are smart. 
They're the ones that are afraid and they don't want to engage Israel in battle again. They've been losing time and time again, but they've got a guy, a guy named Goliath. And so somehow or another, they convince Israel or propose this one-on-one winner-take-all battle. And so they send out Goliath, right? This guy, depending on how you read the text, is somewhere between 6'9 and 9'9. So we're talking like somewhere between the largest guy who's ever lived and Shaq on the low end, right? And so needless to say, here is how uh, Israel reacts. It says in 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 24, all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, they fled from him and were much afraid, right? They had great fear. Those same guys that had been kind of taken over on the battlefield that had been winning right and left, all of a sudden they're stuck in their fear. They're frozen because they see a problem that's bigger than they are. And they stay that way for 40 days. It's 40 days of Goliath coming out and taunting them and mocking God. And they don't have anything to do about it. They're stuck in their fear until a little shepherd boy named David shows up on the scene and says, I'll fight him. Not surprisingly, King Saul takes a look at David and says, um, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him for you're just a youth and he has been a man of war from his youth. But somehow or another, David keeps insisting and he actually convinces Saul to let him fight against Goliath. Again, we're talking about like middle school boy maybe versus Shaq, right? There's not a lot of confidence here among the people of Israel. So we've got to ask ourselves, what made David so different? Why did David have control over the situation and control over his fear? Why was he able to stand up when no one else was in the situation? So I want you to take a look at what David says to Goliath in verse 45. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. You see, here's what David knew that the the king and the soldiers didn't. The king and the soldiers were used to victory. David wasn't. David was used to coming up against problems and fears that were bigger than he was all the time. And so David knew something that he didn't. David knew the answer to our question this morning. How do you conquer your fears? You can't. You can't. You can't do it. You see, David knew what they didn't know, and that was that when you encounter a problem that's bigger than you are, and Goliath was definitely bigger than he was, you can't do it. But David didn't size himself up against his problem. David sized his God up against his problem. And so he drew his confidence from him, and it's what we have to learn to do too, but it's not easy if I'm honest with you that morning or this morning. Right, it's easy to say that, but the reality is that all of us that are sitting in this room probably, to some extent or another, we've been raised in a culture that tells us, no, you've got to solve your problems. You've gotta be big enough, you've gotta be strong enough, you've gotta be smart enough, you've gotta be independent. You've gotta get out there, you've gotta conquer your fears and get over it. And so the thing is, is even though we can say, I know I need God to conquer my fears, as soon as we walk out these doors, we instantly resort to trying to conquer our own fears. 
And if I'm honest with you, you might even be successful in some of them. Right? I know when I was a middle schooler and a high schooler, I was kind of a little bit afraid of roller coasters, but somehow or another, I always ended up at theme parks. Like we always had a season pass to somewhere with my family or my friends would go. And so whenever I would get on a roller coaster, cause I didn't want to chicken out, you know, and not do it with my friends, I wanted to get on there with them. You know, and every roller coaster for some reason starts out with that long ride up the hill, right? And so whenever I'd go up one of those hills, I would sit there and I would square numbers in my head. I would literally be like, all right, one times one is one, two times two is four, three times three is nine. And I would see how high I could get. And I have no idea why I came up with the nerdiest coping mechanism of all time, but it helped. It distracted me from what was about to come. And eventually I started to like roller coasters, right? I got over that fear and it might work for some of those small ones, but what about those bigger fears? What about the big ones, right? What do we do with those questions like, how long is my health gonna last? Or is my family gonna stay together? Are my kids gonna be okay? What's my future gonna look like? Am I gonna be successful enough? You see, for those fears, it doesn't work. You might be able to manage those fears for a little while, but ultimately what's gonna happen is that fear, you know, you may conquer it for a little bit, but it's gonna come back. It might change shapes a little bit. It might come up in a different form. A new reason might pop up, but that fear is always gonna be there just shifting around. It's kind of like you try and trap it and it just pops up somewhere else. And so we've got to learn how to deal with these things. And we all know different ways to deal with it. And what I don't want you to hear me saying this morning is not to do anything yourself, especially if you're talking about um, you know, self-help or uh, professional help, medication, those kind of things, especially when there's a mental health issue at stake. Those things are great tools, but here's the thing. They also happen to sell a little bit of an idolatry of self. We focus on those things as our solution and we lose our focus on God a little bit and it has to be both. You see, there's a, there's a scene in The Lion King, which uh, by the way, if you've got three kids under five, like I do, Disney is kind of your world. Uh, and so just be prepared for some Disney references when I get up here to speak. But if you're familiar with the movie, right, this is the live action version, but you know, I'm a fan of the old school 95 animated one that came out like right when I was a little kid. But here's the thing, there's a scene in those movies where Simba and Nala, they kind of wander off where they're not supposed to. You know, they wander away from the light. They go, uh, you know, kind of to the shadow lands over there and they end up in an elephant graveyard. And Simba in the scene, if you remember it is, He's really trying to show off. He really wants to prove how strong and brave he is. And so he's showing off. He's talking about how he laughs in the face of danger. And, you know, he's kind of showing off in front of his lady until danger actually shows up, right? The hyenas show up on the scene and they start to chase Simba and Nala and he's super afraid. And ultimately they end up getting trapped kind of in this one area and they have nowhere to go. And in that moment, trapped in his fear, just like a lot of us, Simba does kind of what we tend to do in those situations. He kind of tries to power up. He tells himself, all right, I got this. So he lets out his little like fight song kind of thing, except he's a lion, so it's a roar. And the hyenas laugh at him, right? He powers up, he's ready to take on his fear and it does nothing. The hyenas literally laugh at him in the moment. And you see what happens is we tend to do stuff like that in our fears too. Right? We get on the positive thinking train. We kind of hype ourselves up like, okay, I got this. Like, you know, shake it off, Justin. I'm gonna get this. 
And we, you know, we do our little, this is my fight song, take back my life song, right? Like I'm gonna get over this. But the reality is, is that we end up in a cycle and you might have victory for a moment in that situation, but we end up right back in the same situation. And in the scene, that's exactly what happens to Simba, right? The hyenas continue to kind of creep in. And so Simba's like, all right, I'm gonna try this again. And so he goes to let out another roar. And this time the hyenas are stopped in their tracks, right? They're frozen. But the reality is, it's not because of Simba. It's because this time they hear Simba's father, right? Mufasa shows up on the scene. And in that moment, Simba and Nala are still there. There's still hyenas right in front of them, ready to rip them apart. But their father's there too. And the situation changes completely. Because here's what we need to know is that just like Simba, it doesn't matter how badly we wanna be more powerful than our fears or how much we wanna control them and have you know, victory over the situation. The reality is, is that we need somebody who's bigger and stronger than our fears. Because true peace is found in the presence of the one who's bigger and stronger than all our fears. God's presence in our lives is a secret to conquering our fears. We can't do it alone. It's the reason why we climb into bed with our parents at night when we're growing up. Because all those things that seem so dark and scary and overwhelming when we're in bed alone just don't seem to matter as much when mom and dad are right there. Right, we've gotta have somebody in our life. Because you see, here's the deal. Our culture has taught us to say, you know what, I can do this. But you know what's more peaceful than I can do this? I don't have to do this alone. I don't have to do this, right? I've got somebody else who can do this and we've got a God that maybe we need a reminder this morning or maybe you need to hear for the first time that we have a God that says, I've got this. I want to be here with you. You don't have to do any of this alone. College student, you don't have to figure out your future alone. Middle school student, you don't have to worry about if you're popular enough or loved because I'm with you. You know, grandparents, parents, you don't have to worry about your kids because I care about them just as much as you do and I'm working in their life. We've got a God that wants to be with us, but we've gotta be real for a moment, right? It's really easy to say these kind of things. You know, we can walk out, we can say, yes, amen, do the church thing, but we can walk out these doors. And the reality is, is that emotionally, we still feel that fear and it doesn't feel like it makes a ton of impact, right? I can, I can say the right verses, right? I, I know that as a believer, right, God is everywhere and he's in me with the Holy Spirit. And if he's with me, I shouldn't have anything to be afraid. I mean, right, Romans 8, uh, 31, it says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Or maybe uh, Psalm 27, it says, who shall bring any charge against God? Uh, oh, excuse me, no, I'm looking at the wrong. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? Right, I can say those verses and be like, that's right, I've got God with me, who should I fear? But emotionally, Monday, Tuesday, on through Friday and Saturday, what does that fear actually look like in my life? So I wanna spend the rest of our time talking about a couple of things. What does God's presence actually look like in our lives? What kind of effect is it really supposed to have? And the second thing is this, How do we experience it more fully, right? If God's presence is there for us and we know it's supposed to give us peace 
over our fears, what does it look like to actually pursue that and experience it more fully? What are the things, if there are some things, that we need to do for that? And so first off, what does God's presence look like in our lives? You see, in the Old Testament, God's presence was most associated with dwelling with the Ark of the Covenant in the tabernacle or the temple. And that was kind of throughout the history of uh, ancient Israel. And the temple or the tabernacle was divided in kind of these different layers that God's presence kind of intensified or deepened as you got further in. So the temple was divided into these outer courtyards on the outside. And then as you went in, you entered into what was called the holy place. But even beyond that, right, there was a curtain or a veil that separated what was known as the holy of holies, where God's presence literally dwelt with the Ark of the Covenant. And a lot like that, today we can talk about God's presence in different layers, right? We can talk about God's presence in the sense of his omnipresence, the sense that God is literally everywhere. There's nowhere that you can run away from God. But then we can talk about it in a more special sense in the, in the way that he gathers among us when two or three believers or more are gathered together that here he is with us as the body of Christ. But we can also talk about him personally and individually through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that he gives to us. You know, and eventually we'll also experience and we can talk about when we'll be face to face with God in his full presence in eternity. And today what I want us to really look at is kind of that layer of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. Personally, what does it look like that God says, I'm with you, I'm indwelling you. And how does that affect us? What does that presence actually look like? And to be honest with you, we have a lot of false impressions about what the presence of God should look like in our lives. You see, we tend to do a couple of different things. You know, on one hand, there's a tendency in the church, and this tends to be a, kind of a prosperity gospel issue, to, to look at God's presence and to kind of oversimplify it. And it becomes the emotional highs we experience in worship or when we receive a blessing. And to be honest with you, in, in a lot of those cases, and I don't want to you know, overly hate on this, but right, sometimes our emotional highs during worship have more to do with a good crescendo in the music than they do with a movement of the Spirit. But we tend to associate those things with the presence of God. Right? And what, what becomes problematic about those things is we take the effects of God's presence and they become the hallmark of God's presence. And that's what we look like to know, or what we look for to know that we're experiencing his presence. But on the other hand, we tend to underemphasize God's presence too. So many American Christians go through life with such a lack of focus on God's presence. It's it's something that we're gonna experience, you know, at some points or maybe at some point in the future, but right now, like I've got this business to build, I've got school to finish up, I've got a family to focus on. So God's presence is kind of just a thing that's there that it's nice when I feel it, but I'm not really pursuing after it or focused on it. And what ends up happening is that we may even say things like, yeah, you know, Christianity, it's about a relationship, not religion. And we say kind of good things like that, but the reality is that our faith is dry and barren and we're in every bit as much anxiety as anybody else. And so what does it really look like if God's presence is supposed to bring us peace? First off, a couple things you know, that I just talked about, I wanna tell you that it's not. God's presence isn't that emotional high or that receiving of blessings or the removal of difficulties in our life. It's not the emotional high or the removal of difficulties in your life. That can be an effect of God's presence, 
but it's not always, right? I suspect, though, that most of us here tend to struggle a little more with the second part. The other thing that I talked about is how we're so full in our churches of Christians that don't focus on God's presence. And so we're filled with fear, we're trapped in anxiety, and we're focused on other things. But here's what we need to know. God's presence isn't just something for you to experience only sometimes or in the future. God's presence and his power to bring peace in your life are available right now. God is all in, right? We tend to think, God, it's kind of just like something that, yeah, we feel it occasionally, but I want you to hear this morning that God isn't holding back on you. God's all in. He wants to bring his presence into your life. He tells us that he lavishes his love upon us and that if we seek him, we'll find him. But here's the thing. We get a little distracted and we focus on other things. And so what I want you to hear this morning though is what does it really look like when we focus on his presence? So there's four things I wanna give you to help you see what his presence really looks like in our lives. It's this, number one, God's presence in our, looks, in our life looks like this. He's continually in our thoughts. And number two, we're constantly seeking his guidance. He's continually in our thoughts and we're constantly seeking his guidance. It's not something that, oh yeah, I'll, I'll talk to God on Sunday morning, right? Or oh, maybe later when I'm done with this. God wants to be present with us in every moment of our lives. He's interested in every area of your life. He's interested in what you're doing in school, who you're hanging out with on Friday night, you know, what your goals are for the future. But so many of us, are, we treat our relationship with God like it's just something for the times of trouble or when there's kind of important things. You know, if you think about how we pray, for so many of us, prayer becomes something that we do it at certain times, right? For some of us, maybe it's Christmas and Easter or, you know, we pray in the morning and at night. Or we only pray when there's kind of troubling things or big things to pray about, but God wants us to talk to him all the time. I mean, what if we really dared to believe that God actually wants to be with us and wants to be talking to us in every area of our lives, right? Praying without ceasing. Okay, now obviously we can't pray 24 seven, but here's kind of what I mean by this. What if we invited God into every area of your life? Not just the big ones, not the ones that you're experiencing worry, but what if you invited him into every area of your life? Like, what about this? What if you started to pray about things like, where should I go to lunch today? Right, and when I say that, some of you are kind of like, okay, that's a little weird. I don't know that God really cares that much if uh, I'm gonna have a burrito or a hamburger today. And you know what? That might be kind of true, but I actually do think he cares. And here's why, not because he cares about whether you have the burrito or the hamburger and not even for, you know, we come up with these reasons like, oh, if God's telling me to go here, it's probably because if I went to that place for lunch, I was gonna get in a car accident or something. And so he's sending me over here to keep me safe. It's not exactly that. What if we invited God into those areas of our lives because we believe that God has us for a purpose? And he wants us to show love to people and to have opportunities to proclaim the gospel and to demonstrate his love. And so what if we asked him for guidance in those situations and we kept our eyes open for the appointments that he has for us to share his love and to speak his word? I guarantee you that if you walked out of here today and you prayed to God about, all right, where should I go to lunch? Is it a Java Burrito or Zaxby's? 
and you walk into Java Burrito with your eyes open about where are people that I can love? Who do you want me to share the gospel with, God? Because you have me for a purpose. And you end up in a conversation with Jesus that day at lunch, I guarantee you, your anxiety is gonna start to turn to awe. As you see God work in those tiny areas of your life and as you invite him into even those smallest details and allow him to be with us because he wants you to sense his presence, but we've gotta invite him into every area of our life. And because here's why, and this is the reason why we're talking about it this morning is that God's presence gives us peace in the midst of storms. God's presence gives us peace in the midst of storms. You see, it stands to reason that the Prince of Peace brings peace with him when his presence is around, right? He's bigger and stronger than any of your problems. And he wants to be with us. But here's what we need to understand. You see, when God's presence shows up, it doesn't mean that he gets rid of the problems. It doesn't mean that the difficulties or the things that are causing us fear go away. The waves are still there. The storm is still going on. But here's the difference. With God's presence, you won't sink in it. You won't drown, right? His presence gives us peace in the midst of the fear. It's kind of like one of those scenes from the movies where there's an explosion going on and the main character somehow is like in perfect silence with the things flying around and there's some classical music playing in the background, right? God's presence allows us to march to a different tune than our circumstances, right? It gives us peace in the midst of fear. Isaiah says it like this in Isaiah chapter 43, verses one and two, Isaiah says, fear not. This is actually the Lord speaking, but fear not for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned and the flame shall not consume you. God gives us peace through his presence in the midst of what we're going through. And finally, God's presence also gives us joy and love in our hearts. God's presence gives us joy and love in our hearts. So if that's what God's presence looks like for us, the next question is this, how do we actually experience that? How do we get that peace in the midst of storms? How do we experience that love and joy and, and all those different amazing things that his presence brings? What, what is our role in it? And to start off, first off, we have to recognize we do have a role in it, right? God's presence is always available to it or to us, but here's what's true. We have a role in sensing it or experiencing it. And it has to do with our focus. You see, God's presence is available to us, but how we sense his presence is determined by our focus. It's a little bit like this. Anybody else out there, maybe this is just me, but you ever been in that situation where you're kind of in like a triangle of people and two people are talking to each other and you're kind of just standing there awkwardly on the outside, like waiting for their attention? See, when you're a pastor, that happens all the time. And I feel bad, I probably do it to a lot of people too. But there's a difference when we talk about being in somebody's presence, right? From standing in kind of that triangle of people and two people are talking and you're kind of waiting for their attention you can say you're in their presence at that moment, but there's a difference to having somebody's attention and for them to be talking to you and to be in their presence. 
And a lot of you this morning maybe have been believers for a long time, or maybe you're not sure what you think about God. And your experience has been that you kind of feel like your relationship with God looks like one of those conversations. That you're kind of in God's presence, you know he's there, but you're kind of just standing there waiting for him to give you some attention or to focus on you, and you're not really feeling his presence. But here's what I have to tell you this morning. God is not the one looking away. God is not the one looking away. He is all in on you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to give you his presence. But so much of the time we live our lives kind of giving the God, you know, giving God the, "Uh uh-huh, yeah, okay, maybe later. And our focus is somewhere else. But he wants us to turn to him and put our focus on him to sense his presence. And so there's a couple of key things that we've got to do to begin to turn our focus to him and sense and experience his presence the way he wants us to. And so I want you to take a look at one of the most famous passages in scripture about peace and comfort that God provides. It's Psalm 23. A lot of us are familiar with this. It it goes like this. This is Psalm 23, verse four. It says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see, but maybe for the first time, I want you to really pay attention to how this starts. Before the psalmist goes on his stroll through the valley of the shadow of death, here's what happens. It says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You see, before the psalmist takes God's presence through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord makes him rest. He slows down and he rests because the first thing that we need to make sure that we're doing in our lives is resting. Our experience of God's presence and his peace that comes from it, it requires rest. To be honest with you this morning, I think the single most dangerous thing to our faith in this country and our spirituality It's not any kind of political agenda or crazy conspiracy theory out there. It's our busyness. It's our busyness and the pace of life that we live at. We've got to slow down and rest to experience God's presence. And we need to hear something this morning that this, I want you to really focus on this because this is going to be a little counterintuitive. Rest takes work. Rest takes work. I think a lot of us have this impression of rest that, You know, rest is kind of when we just get to stop working, turn our brains off. So it's when we, you know, get to at the end of the day, turn on Netflix and chill, or we take the boat out on the weekend, or we go hit the golf course, you know, whatever it might be. And I don't want to hate on those things completely, because sure, they're a little restful, at least physically, but they're not spiritual rest. They're just more fun ways of busyness. You see real renewing spiritual rest requires us to turn our attention away from those things, to turn off the digital distractions and the entertainment 24 seven and to sit down and to feed on the word of God and to be focused on his presence in prayer and serving and all the different things that God commands us to do. You see, if rest just happened, God wouldn't have commanded it, right? God tells us it's something for you to do. It's one of the 10 commandments. In Psalm 46, he says, be still and know that I'm God. It requires that stillness 
and that spiritual rest. And I wanna be clear really quickly before I move on. This, this point is that rest takes work, not salvation. Rest takes work. This isn't about you carrying yourself to God or getting into his presence or saving yourself, right? This is once we have that relationship with God, our spiritual situation kind of looks like this. It's a little bit like if you were on a hike with a friend and for whatever reason, you can't go on anymore, right? You faint from exhaustion, you break your ankle, whatever it is, that, to be honest, is probably one of the most fitting pictures for our spiritual situation. We're not capable of carrying ourselves forward, but we've got a friend, we've got a God who will. And so our effort in that moment, our work is not to take ourselves forward, it's to cling and rest on the one who's carrying us forward. That's what our focus is, is to cling to the one who's carrying us. And as we do that, he helps us with the second thing. Because the second thing that we have a part in to put our focus on God is this, it's our obedience. We have to obey, right? After uh, God talks about making the psalmist lie down in green pastures, he says this, he says, God leads him in paths of righteousness. You see, our experience of God's presence also requires our obedience. And as we obey, we see God more clearly. It's not that our sin is separating us from God, but our sin can steal our focus from God. It steals our sense or our experience of God's presence. The New Testament talks about it as walking with the spirit or grieving the spirit or quenching the spirit. It's that turning away from God's presence that we're doing. And so when, our, when we obey, it turns our focus back to God. And what I kind of want to wrap up with this morning is this, is to encourage you with this. It doesn't matter how disobedient you've been. God's waiting for you. He wants you to turn your focus to him James chapter four says it like this. He says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. And you see the obedience because after that he adds, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And that's us. But God is waiting for us to draw near to him. He's right there for you. He's ready for you to focus on him and to give you the experience of his presence in your life, but we've got to rest and we've got to obey. And as we do that, we'll see that power for peace in our lives because true peace is found in the presence of the one who's bigger and stronger than any fear you have, right? That, that presence of God is our peace in the present. It's our hope for the future and it's gonna be our joy for eternity. Would you guys pray with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for your unbelievable love. God, I just pray for everybody in this room that has yet to really encounter that experience of your presence, Lord. Would you open their eyes? Would you draw near to them? God, would you show them your incredible love and just the, the things that you wanna do in their lives, Lord? And I pray for so many of us, God, that have walked in relationship with you but have been distracted, Lord, where we turn away and our culture screams at us for our attention all the time. God, would you help us to do the hard work of resting? 
Lord, would you give us the discipline to sit down and get in your word and to pray when it's so much easier to turn on Netflix or to stay on our phones or whatever else it might be. God, I pray you would make us a people that's different than our culture that pursues you. And I pray we would see the fruit of it in our lives. God, but at the end of the day, I pray it would be about your glory. Lord, help us to do that. Help us to love you more. Give us the strength that we need. Give us the wisdom that we need. Father, we just continue to pray for our world and our country in the midst of this disease. God, would your peace and your power be more known? And would you help us to be a part of doing that, Lord? We love you so much, God. Help us to love you more. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.